Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so my guest today is known as Mr. Divorce Coach and is the UK's premier male divorce coach. He is an internationally certified coach, master practitioner in coaching, NLP, timeline therapy, hypnotherapy and CBT. He supports people with emotional mindset and practical realities around their divorce, separation, co-parenting and blended family life. He is regularly in the media due to his unique expertise from BBC Radio, to the times through to recently appearing on this morning welcome to the show mr tom nash good morning thanks for having us uh, it's a pleasure to have you here that was uh, a quite a brief introduction to <laughs> what you do uh so if you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself what you do and how you help yeah sure uh so from a professional perspective you say certified coach uh training coaching back in 20, 2018 through to 2019, not a therapist, not a counsellor, uh, but pure coaching. Mm-hmm. But I did mix in some various psychology-themed treatments, things like you said, NLP, CBT, etc. positive mindset techniques, helping to deal with the emotional outcomes, uh, how to regulate those emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was due to personal lived experience of going through divorce, separation, family courts, child arrangement orders, or what we used to call custody, that actually I was originally going to use those coaching skills in the corporate world, of which I'd come from. Okay. Uh, but due to that lived experience of going through my own divorce and separation, um, it was actually my partner, I have to give credit to, who said one night, sitting on the sofa, watching Netflix, you could use these skills to help other people, particularly other guys with their emotional journey, right. and practicalities outside of the legal and financial realm, but how you actually live and operate mm-hmm. and communicate, et cetera, and cope and work through going through a divorce separation. So we had a search one night and Googled divorce coach. It turns out it's actually a thing. It's a real job people yeah, do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but back in what uh, summer 2019, what we couldn't find at the time was any male representatives. Couldn't find one guy doing it as a specialist, okay. as a, a pure focus. Right. Um, uh, and thus the brand of Mr. Divorce Coach was born uh so that said being branded as mr Wall's coach and one of the very few guys that does this um i do work with men women and couples as well okay. one of my huge passion areas uh is around co-parenting positive co-parenting mm-hmm. um not just building schedules and how they operate and transitions but actually how they communicate and how they want that to be in the future so right. i say to a lot of clients forget co-parenting for a minute stick that to one side how do you want to co-grandparent how do you want this to be in 10, 15, 20 years' time? Okay. Once all the legal and financials are done, yeah. how, how do you want this to be in reality? Mm. So that, that, that's one of my passion areas. Um, as well as another topic you and I were talking about before we start recording, step families and blended families is a, mm. another huge area for me that I absolutely love because I grew up in a blended family. It wasn't called that in the 80s, to be fair. No, but... <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a stepfather um, of my own blended family. Uh, mm-hmm. with my with my partner her two kids my two kids so again it's very representative of modern family dynamics yeah. uh, i read a stat the other day that for the office of national statistics uh there's i think it's around 3.7 million families blended families represent the uk family dynamics so it's a huge shift in a societal view 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was it, like you said in the eighties. My my I, was, I came up. Um, my parents divorced when I was nine, um, and stepmum. Then my mum got a new partner and stuff with their with his kids and stuff like that. So, but it yeah. wasn't it wasn't the norm. No, it's, yeah, that's, that's a huge number of people that now live in that in that kind of environment, and and, and it is much more readily seen as 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 a normal nowadays, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was three years old when my parents separated, right. and I've got two older sisters, three older stepbrothers, and then my dad and my stepmom had another one, so a younger half brother. Okay. So we were like the Waltons of the street, but it <laughs> <laughs> was just a really manic, busy household. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's this huge mix and huge blend. Um, but we were quite different at the time to 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 the uh the traditional nuclear families mm. um back then but of course now it, it's very much a, a social norm yeah very much so very much so so what what so that's obviously your personal experience uh and, and that could be very complex so i guess mm. working in that field what kind of things do you help people to manage in that space so you said it's not just a co-parenting but how do you how do you help people to kind of manage a, a, a blended family whole host of different ways i've got a i'm actually working with a group at the moment uh where it's actually both sets of couples so it's the original married couple who have the, the original biological children right. and they've actually got both their new partners okay. um and again it's working and helping them look at we, a lot of coaches counselors therapists we use, like to use the boundaries word don't we a lot mm-hmm. but effectively helping people to understand what those are mm. ground, ground rules um how we work around them and, and work with them but also helping people recognise which bits are and are not pertinent or part of their control or or, or, or needed to be influenced by them. Okay. So helping some, there's another phrase I use quite a lot. Again, we all become a bit cliche, don't we? Um, but I always say help people trying to step out of their own way, stop creating a lot of their own obstacles. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's not about blame, but cause and effect and the events that lead to. So helping people understand what part they're playing and how that can create other events. So Mm. again, how they create their structure around their blended family, um, how they're operating within that, how they communicate within that. Um, I've had people where um, they treat it like a bit of a business. Uh, So they have like a quarterly or a monthly meeting, sometimes as the kids get older as well, as teenage years, actually getting them involved. Mm. What are they like? What are they not like? What's working well? What's not? For the sake, my I, I was we tried to help co-parents and blended families, etc., reduce things like the um the so-called suitcase kid, the child that's taking everything between the homes. And even with my own personal situation, where me and my partner and Eric's is who are also a couple, I might add. Right. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Uh, so our four kids go between the two homes, and we've tried to limit that, but actually. Now they want to take everything to the houses. <laughs> so again, rolling with the punches and working, seeing what's worked to every unique situation. So there's a whole host of different things for people. Sometimes it is around their communication, streamlining it. Sometimes if it's all over the place, how they're centralizing that, helping to reduce contentiousness or anxieties or anything from blowing out of proportion um, as well. And just how they're engaging with one another and, little steps and techniques that we help them from a, a, a CBT and NLP perspective as well for shifting that, that mindset, that reframing, how they're seeing things. Yeah. I think that's that. I mean, yeah, like you said, even though it is a bit of a cliched kind of statement, it is about getting out of your own way. When I do the mediation work that I do, it is a mm-hmm. taking a bigger picture, isn't it? Yeah. It's about getting catchy because if we bring too much emotional baggage into what we're trying to resolve uh, and make it, 
all about us or make it very personal or carry all of that stuff that you know that hurt and pain that's that's associated with all of this stuff that we go through yeah it's really difficult to come to any kind of res- resolution which is going to help move things forward yeah absolutely yeah i think when i when i got divorced when i when my coach the first thing she said to me was what was your role and why this didn't work um, yeah and i was like oh, i want some sympathy <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take responsibility, but it, it was really good because it stopped me going into a um, kind of victim space or a blaming yeah. space and stuff. And it made me immediately reflect on what could I have done differently? What didn't What didn't I do? Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and owning that. Um, and yeah. the space that, again, not what you're saying is that's what you help people to do. You help people to go, okay, it's not, this isn't a blame game here. This is about this situation and how do we get the best out of it? Yeah, I think that was also one thing for me in my own kind of, let's say, path of self-reflection as well. As you just said, what part did I play in this? Mm. What 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 was I bringing to the table in the situation, or what am I still doing? Um, how can I do it differently? If I'm if what I'm doing isn't working or isn't working well or is creating difficult outcomes, so how could I potentially do something that could impact that more positively? Mm. And one one thing that I've always said, again, another cliche saying, I said to my, my wife, and she used to think it was a bit cringy a couple of years ago, but now she kind of gets it, she thinks it's funny. But I say all the time, I want to be a better ex-husband than I was a husband at the end of our relationship. Right. Um, and that's about, again, unity, supporting her, backing her up, really being there when she needs mm-hmm. to, um, not just with the kids, but even the little things that they get to witness with, I don't know, she's caught at work and they need picking up or she's got a flat tire or just help her any way that I can and always being available and just being a better version of myself. Yeah. It's, that's interesting, isn't it? It's about just being a, a friend in, in, essentially, isn't it? Rather than being yeah. an enemy. Um, yeah. No reason. Most of the time, I guess there are some circumstances and, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit as well, um, where it is really difficult to co-parent. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, my recent run that I'm doing on my podcast is about narcissism. Yeah. And I guess to co-parent with a narcissist is absolutely impossible. Um, yeah, there are um, absolutely, there are times and places for for for, both, for either co-parenting or indeed parallel parenting, because you are going to, there are going to be certain situations. I think it's more about, and again, we've spoken about this before, but evaluating actually what is the reality of the situation. Yeah. Is it, narcissism is the buzzword at the moment. Yeah. Um, it's the go-to, uh, a go-to point of finger, and that, that, yeah, that that's it. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, uh, and as we were saying before we were recording, like this, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, I think if you look at the amount of the actual percentage of uh, of people that actually have true narcissism personality disorder, it's um, from memory, it's something like just under five percent of the populace. Um, it's even smaller than that, actually. I think it's. I thought it was a point five percent or so. Oh, was it point five? Tiny. But, oh wow! Okay. But I think also I sit corrected. Most people <laughs> with narcissism do not get diagnosis because uh, they have to admit there's something wrong in the first place. So I think which they don't do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it comes to trying to yeah. kind of raise a family, it's it's, yeah. it's all about them all the time. It's, it's a horrible space, I imagine. But especially if you're working with somebody who's come out of a relationship where where the other parent just simply won't work together. Well, that exactly. That's what you actually find when if you're attempting to co-parent with a narcissist, mm. uh, a true narcissist, is they do the polar opposite, which is counter 
parenting. Right. It's another approach and a strategy and a, a, a kind of a parenting version of gaslighting in a way, if you like, mm. to again undermine, annihilate, blame, etc. And again, all comes from the baseline of insecurity. Mm. Um, their their insecurity and their own abilities to parent properly and to engage in that process. So absolutely when you're dealing with something that is very high conflict or narcissism or any other kind of personality disorder that has those kind of traits, mm. then co-parenting is unfortunately not the one for you. And you you do need to self-preserve for yourself as and also preserve the situation for children um, and put very strict uh, boundaries and guidelines in place around parallel parenting. And I guess as the work that you do, you'll be able to help people to manage that space as, as best because you've got kind of, kind of other parents who are just not narcissistic, but just don't really care, right? So that they just don't want to engage in the parenting yeah. process at all and they want still want to think that maybe they've split up. I've got a client at the moment actually and, and her relationship ended like six years ago and she's still trying to deal with the trauma yeah. of what happened there. But the, her, her ex just basically went off with somebody else and had nothing to do with the kids you know um again very insecure not narcissistic but some narcissistic tendencies and traits just didn't want anything to do with the family so i guess you you have people that maybe as well with you would need your help to kind of process the complete uh vacuum that they've left from 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 the divorce yeah so it's more kind of looking at um kind of post-recovery um, so then we start to look further into what well, we work towards kind of rebuilding confidence. But as you know, you've really got to go back right to the beginning and look at self-worth, self-value, build self-esteem and then work towards confidence and then helping them to rebuild. Actually, what do they want from life? What do they want that to look like um, as well? And someone was asking me recently um, about from the emotional perspective. Oh, so it's about removing the emotion. Yes, to a degree, but it's how you do that. And right. you have again, you have to work backwards and start somewhere. Mm. And first of all, it's about identifying what the true emotions are, what the true mm. feelings are behind that, yeah. the behaviours that come from thought plus feeling equals behaviour. Mm. What are we actually doing with them and the outcome of them so that we can learn to regulate them better? Mm. And when we can regulate our emotions better, we can thus impact impact the lessening and eventual removal of them from a situation. But again, that's a that's a process. Everybody's different. Every situation is as unique as a snowflake, and you've got to work with mm. ha- how that is for the individuals within the situation and all the different moving parts. Mm. Um, but no, I, I, absolutely, it, it can be really, really difficult when you've got. Uh, and again, I, I had a um, lady client last year who was coming to me saying, I. I want him to have the kids half the time. And I, I, I need the break. I'm running a business. I love my kids, but I need some space. I need some me time. I've got to run my my uh, my company. Yeah. Um, and just zero to no engagement. Uh, and again, that can be really hard. So then it was looking at, right, so what mechanisms, what does she actually want underneath it? What she needed was a bit of time, a bit of freedom here, a bit of all these different parts that actually were going to help her move forward yeah. um that were unique to her but without being able to use the situation of, of the dad being involved yeah. um equally on the same side a vast majority of my clients are predominantly male um being one of the few guys that is in this line of work it's probably about yeah. 70 30 split there or thereabouts and again the vast majority of the dads that i work with are actually on the opposite end of the spectrum they were the, the dad that i was, was actually saying oh hold on i, I don't just want to be a father i want to be a dad 
I yeah. want to take them to school. I want to do the homework. Yeah. I want to. I, I want to put them to bed. I want to do all the normal stuff. I want to wear a uniform. I, I just want to be a present, everyday, engaged dad. Yeah. Um, uh, and again, just trying to figure out how they go about that, what they need to learn, new approaches, etc. And I guess, like you said, for your own personal experience, you've you've had to work your way through. You said the you know your parents divorced when you were three. Mm-hmm. You then had your own family dynamics then that you grew up in and then your own experiences. <laughs> you said you'd come back to it. So that uh, you said that your partner is <laughs> the ex-partner of your ex-partner's ex-partner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you need like a bit of CSI street to like <laughs> tie it all together. But yes, my my ex-wife's boyfriend <laughs> is my girlfriend's ex-husband. Right. Okay. So myself and my partner got together first. Um, it's all out there in the media, so I can't make any odds about it. Um, yeah. I have to own it. Um, I did have an affair. I met someone. I was unhappy in my marriage. I didn't deal with it very well. Mm-hmm. If I know what I know now, that's why I do what I do now to help others. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do that for self-reflective piece. I didn't look at what was I doing. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't handle it in the right way. Um, didn't understand how to have those conversations with myself as well as externally with my with my then wife. Right. Um, I fell in love um, with someone that wasn't my wife. Uh, I did leave my wife for her. We were still together six plus years down the line. Yeah. Um, and then lo and behold, as fate would have it, um, at an undefined term, term, time later, my ex-wife and the other guy on the other side of the situation, they met um, and got together a few months, six months or something, whatever it was later. I can't remember now. Oh, okay. Um, so again, in that, that perspective of, blended families, step-parenting. Myself and my ex-wife have two boys. <clears throat> my uh, my partner and her ex-husband have a, a boy and a girl, so, but uh, two, I say bonus children because I don't like the term step, but for all and purposes, everybody else is step. Um, so I've got my two bonus children and that little melting pot of four kids transitions still between two homes. So each home is the alternate set of bio, non-bio parents. So again, those little nuances of like overhearing things or like, underhanded remarks or whatever that's about the exact same alternate set of parents in the other house so you've got to be really really cautious about what you do and what you say and how you act so yeah that was um that definitely brought its own unique set of challenges <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it yeah i'm sure yeah and that is uh that's an unusual situation i would imagine actually more common than you think okay yeah, actually, it's actually it's actually a lot more common, and um, and so I keep being told whenever I mention this story to people, it worked for Shania Twain because apparently her and her husband did exactly the same thing. All right. But it's um, apparently it's not that uncommon at all. Okay, and I, I yeah, I, I just wonder, would wonder how they would they would meet organically. Um, and you can understand people that had an affair, they come together and. And they're going to kind of my partner had an affair club or something, and then and then they get together. But it's in, unusual. I, obviously, not as unusual as I thought that people then gravitate towards one another if they maybe come from the same situation. Yeah, yeah, I think it's kind of things where people can resonate with each other. Um, myself and my partner, we had said before, and think it ever happened when we were just friends. Mm-hmm. Um, her and her partner, her and her, her husband, would be separated. She'd been separated for a while when I very first met her. Um, obviously, I was still married. Um, but we used to say, like, some of the, the way that they operate, their mannerisms and things like that, we were actually saying, they're actually really well suited. Like, right. they should they should be together. And then it was just funny that, lo and behold, some time later, <laughs> that, that, that they did. And it, and it works. Yeah. Um, but again, that was, that's not to say that thing, we weren't all right for each other when 
previous years, mm. we all evolved differently, mm. um, not necessarily together. But, uh, but you yeah, know, it, it is interesting how, how it works. And it does come up quite a bit in the work yeah. that I do. No, oh, interesting. I, 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 I can't say it's ever many things that I've come across, but it's, it's, it's clearly more, more common than I, than I imagined it to be. So you recently you were on this morning for a spe- mm-hmm. specific purpose. Can you tell us a little bit about that? uh yeah so it was off the back of media dubs divorce day um the first monday of the year when apparently the family lawyers phones don't stop ringing and their inboxes fill up with emails it was actually off the back of there was an article in the times um that i did um with uh, a lovely um thought-provoking title of i left my wife for a woman i met on the train uh, <laughs> which was actually an interview with myself my girlfriend and my ex-wife um and what we wanted to do was the three of us talk about how all three of us had a very different experience of the same event. Everybody has a different lens and a different viewpoint and and a different lived environment um, through that experience. And off the back of that, there was some other media stuff, but I was invited onto onto ITV, onto This Morning with Holly and Phil, which is fantastic and scary Mm -hmm. all at the same time. Um, And we were doing some phone-ins for some divorce support, helping people with questions about their uh, emotional situations practical situations mm. um, and experiences for people so yeah that was a, an interesting event mm. oh that is interesting so your story was about perception really wasn't it then I and mean, this is a stuff I cover loads in my own work yeah. with my clients it's you know they say oh, well why am I why do I see it this when my brother does that or my sister does this and I said, well, it's all about how you perceive that situation and then your perception is going to determine how you respond or react to that yeah, absolutely. You get a kind of a broader spectrum. It's like one of those stories on TV, like you see when someone sort of they they flick between different kind of perspective of the same story. Yeah, yeah. It was like love, actually, but divorce, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's absolutely right. It's about our own individual maps of the world, like where we're coming from, the experience to us, the thoughts, feelings, behaviors that. We're, we're we're going through but yeah. from that unique experience i mean i know one of the things that was in the article and that I, I talk about a lot is about leaver's guilt and i went to i i felt so much shame and self-resentment right it was the one thing i'd always said to myself when i was younger my, my kind of one personal vow to myself that i would never break and and did mm. and not because as, as much as I love my partner, but not because I wanted to and I went out there like seeking it. I wasn't trying to complete Tinder in my spare time or anything yeah. like that. It was, I, I, I accidentally fell in love with some woman I shouldn't have. And it was an experience that, that, that really did almost both emotionally and physically break me. And uh, yeah. again, I think that from a societal view, when we look at it in, let's say, I don't know, EastEnders or whatever it might be or how things are portrayed, we'll look at the person that ended a relationship, if, especially if it's been more so for, for, for due to adultery affairs, mm. um, that they're inherently wrong, that they're evil, they're bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually they're going through it quite typically, I, from the vast majority of clients that I work with, they're beating, them up self, they're beating themselves up emotionally and mentally more than anybody else could. They are really not happy about where they have found themselves mm-hmm. as much as they're happy with this new person and very much in love there's a lot of emotional turmoil for them um and that actually that they want to 
repair things however they possibly can mm. hence that phrase that i said earlier i want to be a better ex-husband than i was a husband yeah. right i, I, I want to make sure yourself because like you said you're a very committed father and you and you wanted to to be part of it and i guess when that kind of thing happens there's a big unknown there isn't it it's about how is this going to work out how much how am i going to how am i going to be a dad again i guess how, yeah. what, how am i going to be the dad i want to be well, yeah, I mean, I was um, uh, the biggest fears uh, uh, immediately, um, having been the one that moved out of the family home, etc. Um, as, again, unfortunately, stereotypically does happen more so with dads, is that I was going to be resided to the weekend McDonald's dad pile um, or be labelled Disney dad um, and things like that. And it, again, it's like, again, societal views, whether it's on TV, social media, like, you see a guy with his kids in the park and he's married or he's in a committed relationship. And I'm like, oh, isn't he a great dad? Well, yeah, but he's also a dad. If he if he's a divorced dad and he's separated, it's like, oh, right, right gone for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, again, the perspective, the lens changes. Yeah. And actually, it's not about that. Um, so, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I was always wanting to be a committed dad. And it was the, the biggest, biggest fear was what's the narrative that they might get told or hear right. through other through other parties um, or whatever um, without me being able to own it. Um, so all, I, as the kids getting older, um, they're what, 17, 13, 12 and 10. It's a bit of a, yeah, yeah, yeah I was just trying to remember because it, it's got mm-hmm. some birthdays coming up. So I was trying to remember which one's about to change. <laughs> um, but as they're maturing, as they're getting older, they are asking certain questions. There are things that are important for them to know, but equally it's also important for each of us parents to own our input to those situations. So we don't hide away from that. It's like I say, it's all in the media and stuff like that, but it's again, trying to change that narrative, that societal view and that perspective to talk about those things that we've never talked about Mm. or that are quite taboo topics to actually Mm. stop and go, well, hold on a minute, everybody's going through something. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, just because your relationship isn't working, that doesn't change who you are as a father, does it? Even though, no. as there, like you said, there was a fear there that you would not be able to participate in their lives as much as you wanted to. Yeah. Um, but that that seems to be okay. You you've been able to kind of find that by being owning your space and being able to communicate and being able to think about what's best for the kids and what's best for the family. You've been able to find a way through that works. As yeah, possible. I mean, it was slightly different for me and my ex. Um, so our, my partner and her ex, they immediately, when they first separated, almost from day one, they immediately did a, a, a 50-50, if you would call it, shared care, um, split the weeks. Um, so it wasn't like one week on, one week off. They kind of split the actual week and then alternate weekends to kind of make it a bit easier for both of them work-wise, as well as the kids schooling, etc. Um I, I, I very quickly, almost immediately, I was in the kind of weekend dad pile. Um, and it was, it took a little while. We, I mean, a lot of people look at our situation and go, oh, well, great. Isn't it great for you? Because like you all get on. But we didn't. It's not like we were like immediately best friends. Like, oh, you left me for someone else. Oh, let's, let's go have lunch together. <laughs> um, like you have to work up to that. It does take time, but it also takes effort, consistency, yeah. commitment to doing the thing. Um, myself and my ex-wife, we did go through the family courts. I completed the child arrangement order forms, the CAFCAS calls. Uh, we, we had a hearing or two hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had come away with the, I've got my piece of paper, I've got my court order. And again, it, within, it was 
then trying to figure out, well, actually, whatever's written on this piece of paper should be used as a, a, a baseline minimum of what we do. But we, the parents, can still agree to do whatever we want outside the realm of that as long as we're both on the same page. Mm. And it, it, it did, it, again, took a while, took commitment. It did take all of us to do our bit that we said earlier about stepping out our own way. And for that, for one of the, uh, for, for one part was, um, I remember having to continually extending other branches, even simpler coming for a cup of tea or yeah. trying to help and do any little thing that I could that would be helpful to my ex-wife that would make her life slightly easier save her five minutes with a job with the kids whatever it might be yeah. and that was me trying to get out of my own way and do something positive and again she had to get out of her own way at some point and accept those other branches and then look at maybe what she could do differently to engage better mm-hmm. so I remember the first time she ever did walk through the door of my new home to come for a cup of tea and that must have been really really scary for her. that's really really brave mm. but she had likewise she had to do her own part yeah. to, to 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 take a step forward and again it it's weird it's awkward it's not easy mm. but anything that's worth doing in life is going to be hard and it's worth putting in the effort and keep doing it because you will find your your new trust your new working partnership the way you operate your new relationship I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you said, it's not going to be easy to start with. No. But if you keep putting the effort in, you can make it work as well as you possibly can. How did, how did you kind of manage to get over your own feelings and your own thoughts around the fact that you had had the affair and, and you had made the decision to kind of leave the family? You said that was something you really struggled with. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, just because like childhood stuff as well um I, I did i had a counselor when i was going through my divorce um and she was fantastic i've recommended so many people to her. she's been brilliant um and she helped me work with a lot of that why like why was i having those thoughts why why was i having those things why was i having those responses mm-hmm. um the reason i chose to go into coaching was because once i dealt with all the why i got that data i then wanted to know well how do i apply it to do better yeah what do i do now how can i etc mm-hmm. um and interestingly, one of the things that kind of instigated and helped with me was also something that was also for my ex-wife, which was actually that that closure and that acknowledgement of truth. It was my my very heartfelt, honest, deep apology, but a consistent version of it, not just a, oh, I'm sorry, I hurt you, but a consistency of that mm. through words, through actions, through behaviours, through how I'm showing up. Yeah. Um, that was as much for her as it was for me because part of that getting through that guilt and that shame that, that self-resentment of yourself and that I, I really did hate a part of myself to be perfectly honest with you that's quite a strong word to use about yourself yeah. um part of that is also the self-goodness actually that again not the blame but the understanding of well, you've made those decisions based on where you're at what you were thinking what you were feeling so on and so forth yeah. so that process of words actions behaviors of apologies for my ex-wife was as much for her closure as it was for me doing my own self-forgiveness mm. um and and really learning to accept like the decisions that i've made yeah. um and why i've made them and for what purpose mm-hmm. and also actually that reflectively it has actually made me a much better person for all the hurt for all the pain not just me but everybody involved in this what it has led to in the grand scheme of things, that bigger picture, like you said earlier, mm. is I left the corporate world and a very comfortable salary and bonuses to now help other people get through this. I now have a, 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 a passion and a focus mm. for 
doing some good in the world. Yeah. Um, and also educating my children in yeah. their emotional intelligence, yeah. how they see adult relationships, mm. how they deal with conflict, how they understand communications. Um, so again, it's lessons for, for all of us, really. Yeah, setting, setting a really good example of how to, like you said, how to be emotionally intelligent in those spaces, even mm. when it doesn't feel like you can be or really want to be. <laughs> I think I was just this to come to my I was working with a guy last year and he used to call it his me monster. Yeah. Because he had an affair and he wanted to understand the process of what had happened and how he got to that point. And we did a lot of sort of reflection on his child and stuff and how he really didn't, you know, how to deal with certain things. But he came with so much guilt and so much shame. And he would name that part of himself his me monster. And it's uh, yeah. he would really be hard on himself for it. And, and and it was it was a really enlightening experience for him to kind of understand his own processes. And I think that's I think that's the key, isn't it? So what you've done is you've actually taken on the journey to say, okay, I need to understand myself here. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same with the relationship stuff. My experience of relationships is what's led me to do relationships, is because they've always been yeah. really toxic, abusive, and horrible spaces. And I needed to understand what I was doing. Yeah. I created those environments myself over and over and over again before I was able to, to shift away and, and have something a bit healthier. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the same with what you're saying is, you, you know, you to, to understand what led you to that space has enlightened you enough to kind of not just uh, understand why that happened, but I'm sure it's opened many our kind of doors and avenues for you as oh, well yeah. about yourself as a human being. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think like your key point there is both of what we have said is that we both went, well, I need to look at myself before mm-hmm. I look externally. Like I've got to hold my own mirror up and go, okay, so who am I? What what is it about these things that I do? Mm-hmm. Where do they come from? And it is and it really is starting to before you can look at anything external, you've got to understand what part the internal's playing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if anybody listening to this, um, if you can take one big takeaway, is just the self-reflection piece stop and looking at yourself and looking at the parts that you play because it really does it helps you understand uh a lot of other things that slot into place and start to make sense yeah. and then you can have those aha kind of yeah. <laughs> light bulb epiphanies yeah, exactly. um yeah yeah because yeah, the way i was self-sabotaging my relationships i was self-sabotaging so many other things in my life my athletics career yeah. my businesses stuff in the past it's always been me that's made these subconscious decisions in order to create the the kind of difficulties that I was experiencing yeah um so the kind of significance of relationships to you I guess are really important um not just because of what you do and what you've experienced um how how do like how do relationships help you how do they hinder you of kind of what experiences you've had in the past and the significance you place on relationships which which sort of relationships? Romantic relationships, partner relationships. Which ones you're comfortable talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, the, them, which ones do you think have influenced you the most? Uh, what my direct relationships in life? Yeah. You... Okay. Growing up in a blended family, and again in the eighties, it was quite rare to be growing up with my dad, not with my mum. That relationship had a hugely positive impact on me in many ways. My dad, um, like most guys, he's my hero <laughs> uh and even like the real little simple nuanced things that i've noticed that i do that have kind of carried through from that relationship mm. uh, my, my, my dad used to work shifts um and my, my stepmom worked in academia so she had a real like, kind of high flying deficit his dad's work was around all of us kids right um 
when we used to walk home from school, you could walk down our street and you knew which shift dad was on because if he was home, the music was blaring out the kitchen window oh. whilst he was doing it, whilst he was ironing seven school uniforms. Right? <laughs> that that was dad's thing at like three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh. Um, I'm one of those, this sounds really weird, these lead to relationships. I'm one of those very weird people in life that loves ironing. Right? And I'll, about three, four o'clock or whatever, might be five, I'd put something on TV that I want to watch or I'll put my music on and put my headphones on and I own, the, I own the kids' uniforms and stuff like that. But that's come from the relationship with my dad of actually seeing in the 80s, again, didn't wasn't as common then, but seeing a male role model mm-hmm. doing his fair share of the housework. Right, okay. right? So, and again, I do the vast majority and she would admit this herself because again my partner's job is a very demanding career right. um and i work for myself and work from home so do you know what i use my lunch break to put stuff in the tumble dryer and give the living room a hoover like and <laughs> walk the dog um so those things that come from relationships help me to very early formulate i suppose a um a version of equality before we were talking about parental equality or house chores equality gender equality yeah, yeah. It was already something that was ingrained in me from mm. 1986. Right. Um, that was already there. So that was a real important part of relationships that, that, that I learned. Mm. Um, and I think one of, the other, one of the other big things of now being the stepdad and co-parent of my own blended family is, again, reflective, like we say, looking back at all the good, bad and indifferent parts of me growing up in a blended family and all the bits that I love and how close I am and with all my siblings, bio and non-bio, um, and how to recreate that, but in a uniqueness version for my kids and my stepkids. Right. That, that, that was a huge thing about mm. sibling relationships, DNA or not, right? That love and compassion and that unity between them all um, and how they are this, like, this little unit mm. um, and things like that. that. That was a really, really important thing to me as well mm. around, around relationships. And then I think that probably the, the last thing is I've always gotten on, even in school and workplace, I, I, I've i always, my friends were always predominantly girls anyway. Yeah. I was never like the jock type guy at school. I'm 5'10 and don't weigh a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm not that guy. I didn't do the running that you did, John. Uh, <laughs> but again, it was looking at that form of respecting those relationships with the women in my life. Mm with my mum, my stepmom, my sisters, my partner, my ex-wife, etc. And again, about supporting them in their roles and what they want to achieve. Yeah. Um, and, and what's important to them in life. Yeah. Um, and even just doing the little things that help save them time or brighten their day a little bit. That's, again, something I really took from relationships. And again, I think I've, I've really got that quite a lot from seeing my dad growing up and all the stuff that he would do right. that, to, to make my stepmom happy. Yeah. So you really kind of set an example of how everything can work and the role that you can play uh, to make things work. And that's, like you said, something you've taken on board. It's interesting, actually, because I stayed with my dad when my parents divorced as well. But he he didn't do the ironing, but he showed me how to iron. (laughs) (laughs) You are now secondary school. You now wear shirts. This is how you iron them. (laughs) I haven't actually got the kids doing the ironing yet. Um, My youngest is... A no fear child, so he's the one that I, I kind of want to keep him away from from the island. <laughs> um, but, but 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 they do have their fair amount of chores, and they've got they've got to do their stuff. So they know we um it's no yeah it's no free ride. But <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And my dad was in did national service, and he was very very uh 
I don't know why ironing was his pride thing. I don't know why, but he was he would he spent hours over a shirt. But yeah, and I have a tendency now to spend far too long doing the ironing <laughs> because I, I, because of that. Interesting. I, I when I first left school, I went straight into Royal Navy when I left school. So um, I, fin- I finished GCSEs and I went straight off down to to HMS Rally. Um, and again because of that basic training and things like that. My other half says to me, she's like, God, let me do the ironing because you take too long. I was like, because it's got to be right. It's got to be right. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Yeah. Don't just don't just go over it, otherwise it'll... <laughs> yeah, no, it, it always fascinates me when people just run an iron over something. I go, but that's still got creases on it. Ah, that's all right. Yeah. I go, no, no, it's got creases on it. It's got to, they've got to come out. <laughs> I can't uh, believe my answer to your question about relationships revolves around ironing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess there's worse things it could it could revolve around. <laughs> uh, thanks so so much for sharing those things with me, Tom. How do people get in contact with you if they would like to uh, find out a bit more about what you do and and possibly work with you? Uh, like you said, I mean January is kind of divorce month, I guess, where people instigate those um, those moves uh, yeah. to sort of change their lives. Um, and there's probably going to be a few people moving forward in this space that might find it yeah. or will find it definitely beneficial to speak to someone like yourself. Yeah. I think, well, um, I, I also work with clients at kind of pre and planning phase, if you like, rather than just when they're in the thick of it or post recovery. Right. Um, so again, if you are in a relationship that you're thinking of leaving or you're suspecting that your partner is going to be in a relationship um, or you both want to do it. Cause I do work with couples as well, like I say, yeah. and you would like to, do some preventative measure work before you go down the negative rabbit holes. Um, There's a lot of work that we can do there as well. Um, I mean, you can find me online anywhere by simply putting Tom Nash and Mr. Divorce Coach uh, into Google. I'll pop up in this yellow chair that you always see me sitting in, hence (laughs) the brand. Um, But um, Instagram and LinkedIn is my busiest social media feeds. Again, you can just find me, Mr. Divorce Coach, uh, Tom Nash. Um, And, uh, yeah, my email is tom at mrdivorcecoach.co.uk. Uh, I offer all clients and interested parties completely free um, 45 minute discovery consultation. That can be a phone, it can be a Zoom. If you're located roughly geographically, um, we can do that face to face. Again, for couples, where I'm working with couples who are looking to not to steal Gwyneth's phrase, but consciously uncouple, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, or co parenting, or blended family, step parenting. Uh, if it's a couple, um, I still offer both parties their own 45 minute consultations as well. So it's not one they would have to use together. Um, uh, And then from there, we can find out a little bit about what your situation is, what coaching might be able to do for you, how I could help if there are pause there, type of techniques and tips that we can work on um, and then can take it from there. But um, predominantly clients do see me online on Zoom as I'm sure you find that as well these days. The world's a very small place. Uh, But for in-person sessions, I have clinic spaces in um Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire, Buckinghamshire, two in London and one in Cambridge. Oh wow. So I cover quite a bit of a geocrat. I sit literally on the cusp of I sit between kind of Cambridgeshire and Bedfordshire borders. Right. St Albans is like 40 minutes from me if that and I can be in London within an hour. So I have all these little spaces. There's a really nice kind of geographic oh, yeah. patch for that. That is that is that is very readily available. So if you want to reach out to Tom and get uh get that 45 minute consultation um, you can reach out to him on his social media and the, the some of those links will be in the notes to in the show notes. Um, 
if you would be able to leave our listeners with any kind of words of wisdom or your favourite quote of any kind. Oh, yeah, you threw that at me last minute, didn't you? I didn't know that was coming up. I, I thought um, I said that in There is, um, well, my quotes that I mentioned earlier, I'll just recap some of them and then I've got a famous one that I used here, but my, my quotes from earlier, just stop and pause for a minute. Think about the big picture that you and I are both saying about, John. Forget co-parenting for a minute. Think about co-grandparenting. How do you want this experience to be, not just for you, but your children, your grandchildren? Mm -hmm. Think about the reality of it. Once your lawyer, your mediator, your financial planner, your pension person's done, what are you all left with? Okay. Um, The other one is about, again, both of us saying, kind of step back your own way, the Mm self-reflection. And if I can put, if I can put a quote, a quote to it, and now I can't remember who the quote's by. Um, I think it was a Confucius one or something like that. Um, but the quote is along the lines of, um, if it appears the goal cannot be achieved, don't change the goal, change the manageable steps. Right, okay. So if you want to work towards your co-parenting, this isn't with obviously an artist like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Right? You want to work towards your co-parenting. Right? It, don't change the goal. If it feels like you're not getting there, don't change the goal. Just look at the manageable steps. What could be done differently? What's the, what, what different options are available? Who else can help? Right? Mm-hmm. What parts need to be moved? Um, and I, I always love that quote because you can use it in so many different forms. You can use it in business. You can use it in life. You can use it in yeah. whatever you want, training. Um, you want to work towards that goal? Don't change your goal. It doesn't matter you're going to achieve it. Change the manageable steps. Make it like Lego bricks. That's what I say to people all the time. Right? What we're doing in each session is Lego bricks. We're building all the time. Awesome. Thank you, and that's great. It is. It, that's just like it's amazing that you can. You, know, you said you can use that in any kind of walk of your life, can't you? It's not about shifting away from the goal. It's about shifting how you're going to get there. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Uh, it's been lovely to speak to you today. Uh, and take care of yourself. And speak to you soon. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.